In a world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. Hey everyone, welcome back to the all-new Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast brought to you by the good people at Topcoder. Um, For those of you who are about to criticize me for continuing to call this the all-new Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, I I think this is going to be something like episode nine or ten or something. Uh, I will will point you as a reference to some years ago here in Houston, there was a radio station who referred to themselves on the air as the new 93Q for something like two years. So I got I got plenty of headroom left. This is a new show. It is kind of a sister show to the Oil & Gas Tech Show. Uh, So if you're a Tech Show fan, uh, welcome over here to this one. If you're not a Tech Show fan, as soon as you get done listening to this episode, go check that one out. On the Tech Show, we talk about the technology itself and how it's impacting the industry. On Digital Doers, we really want to hear about people who are making progress and uh, and actually beginning to see value from their digital transformation efforts. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, I also mentioned that this this episode and every episode is sponsored by our friends at Topcoder. If you don't know who Topcoder is, then go back to episode one and you get to hear Clinton Bonner from Topcoder talk all about it. Um, it's not a sales pitch because Clinton is also an, uh, an experienced podcaster himself. So we had a lot of fun and we talked about what they do, but they are a pioneer in open talent models. And uh, if you don't know what open talent models is, you should because it, it's, it can play a big part in helping you move your, your digital forward. Um, that is all I'm going to say uh, uh, today because we want to get right into this topic. I'm going I'm to come back to a few things at the end. Um, oh, by the way, don't forget that we do need your reviews. I'll save my usual speech on that, but go, go to your podcast platform and, and leave a review because that is how we learn about uh, what you think about, about this show. So do that. Also check out all the new OGGN shows that are coming out. Uh, we'll put some notes about that in the, in the show notes. Um, but besides all that, let's just get right into it. I have two uh, fantastic guests today. Um, I'm looking at them. They're like, you guys better be fantastic. Um, I got, and, and, and we're going to talk about real progress in digital. So today I have uh, from... BP. I have Tom Inglis, who is uh, is uh, VP of Global Compute Platforms. At least that's what it said on your. So thanks, thanks for being here. And, and thanks for uh, having me. Good tra- to be oh, here. I forgot to mention that here is uh, we are today at the fabulous Canon on the west side of Houston, where the sun is always shining and the birds are always singing and the people are always happy. I also have today from our very good friends at IBM. IBM's a big a big friend of uh, OGGN. I have. Jerry Lewis. Uh, hey, hello. <laughs> I just love saying that I have Jerry Lewis on the show today. Uh, so thanks, thanks also for, for making time. Thanks for having me. I yeah. really appreciate being here. And, um, and so now, listeners, if you haven't worked this out by now, at the top of my show notes today, it says... Tom and Jerry. The Tom and Jerry show. It's the Tom and Jerry show. I, it's, it's, it, I'm on a celebrity streak because I had Thor last week, um, and we were talking about the Colonial Pipeline incident. Um, so you always want to get a deity involved in those cybersecurity issues. <laughs> and today, we're talking about the progress that's being made at BP in the world of digital. Um, so, but but let me, let's do a little bit about you guys first so people know 
who are listening to. I got like a little fly flying around. We got we got bugs in the cannon. <laughs> <laughs> we better edit that part out. <laughs> we don't want them to know that we got bugs in the cannon. Um, so or uh, mice and cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so uh, Tom, I I I don't know a whole lot about you. Uh, because we really haven't met before, but I know you've been a VP for a long time, right? And then there was something about Accenture back there in the early part of your career. Um, Boo. So, <laughs> so what else? Like, uh, but what else? What else do you want us, people to know about you before we get started? Just I. Uh, you can make something up. Anything yeah, you want. Anything yeah. I want. <laughs> anything no, I, I live here in Houston. Um, you know, I've I've been a long time, lifetime, uh, passionate uh, compute enthusiast, and so. You know, I, I've worked in many of the different functions across IT and oil and gas. I've done data, um, I've done uh, compute, I've done cloud, and I just generally have a great deal of passion for getting things done, which is in line with what this podcast's all it about. It is. Coincidentally, it is. Now, there is, I, I wanted to comment on one thing because I noticed, um, so for those, for those, for people who are in Houston or maybe for who spend a lot of time here hanging out in the energy corridor, there is this very iconic, I think, it, I think it's been around long enough to call it iconic. In any case, it's a recognizable building there on the I-10 feeder mm -hmm. road, which is uh, the, the, the famous BP. Um, I, in fact, uh, I think I saw somewhere that it was like the world's first petaflop computing center or something. The something first along. private one, I believe it was. First private one. Yeah. So, and I also just saw a news article or headline that said it's going to be on a billboard. So, do you know about this? I do. One of our um, compute engineers' wife took a picture of it and submitted it uh, into a, a Houston contest, and the picture won. So now our building is going to be featured on a billboard. In here in Houston, uh, yeah. uh, on a billboard. So. The question is, did anybody photobomb that 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 shot when she got the photo? Like, if we zoom in on that picture, can we see you in the or background? Or if we saw like, take two of it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a cool building, though. It's it is really, a very cool it, building. It is, yeah, it is, no, it's, it's fantastic. Cool. All right. Okay, enough about you. Um, so, Jerry, uh, from our friends at IBM, I know that, like, so your thing at IBM is basically taking care of the folks at BP, right? Is that, that's your... Uh, well, my um, role today at IBM is as the lead account partner for BP for IBM so in North America. So providing services to BP in service of their mission is my mission. Yeah. But yeah. in short, I help companies with transformation, digital transformation, retail customer experience led transformation, agility, and bringing the ways of working together with the technology to get things done. Like you said, I've been doing that for industrial firms for the last three, four years. Right, right. Uh, with some experience out of Mexico with Semex, came up back to the uh, Houston area and took this role in oil and gas, not as an oil and gas expert per se, but as someone that knows how to take ways of working and technology and combine them to help companies transform. Yeah, yeah. And BP's got a huge mission around transforming in many yeah. ways, from right. oil to energy, from non-customer-facing to much more customer-facing, uh, partnering with cities to help them achieve net zero and sustainability goals. So there's a lot of new skills and uh, new activities that BP's undertaking that companies like IBM help right. companies like BP execute. Um, not only companies like IBM and companies like BP, but today we're going to talk specifically about IBM and BP. But yeah. you did so you, you, you hit on something there that I was going to mention, which is, I, like I noticed one, one day I was looking on LinkedIn that some of your 
posts are sort of randomly in Spanish. And, mm. uh, and, and then yeah. I figured out why, because you spent, you spent uh, some time, yeah. uh, what did you say, it was like three years? Yeah, Mexico? three years from 2017 to 2020 in Mexico, living there with my family, uh, working for and with Semex in essentially the same capacity. Uh, and of course, while they're focusing a bit on Spanish as well as kind of a nice little gift because I don't think we get to focus on foreign language as much as we'd like to in this country. So no. whenever I can practice that, I do. And if a colleague of mine from Mexico or uh, or somewhere where Spanish is spoken posts, I sometimes respond, yeah. respond in Spanish or send emails in Spanish. Right, or, right, you right. Know. No, that's cool. I actually uh, did a speech in Spanish uh, yeah? on digital transformation for cement at the Cade Digital Conference in Peru, in oh, Lima. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, the whole thing was in Spanish, wow. and uh, now, that, that was uncomfortable. Did you get to read, read it, or did you have to actually? <laughs> no, I, it? I gave a keynote presentation. It wasn't a. It was wow. a conversation with a Semex colleague, oh, the president wow. of Semex mm. uh, Peru. It was uh, it was a challenge, uh, but it was good. Yeah, I mean, it's a good experience. I, it's yeah. true that in this country we don't like, and people get all worked up sometimes when everybody's not speaking English, but in 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 Europe. Like, every, like I spent a lot of time with, and, and every, depending on what country you're in, you probably know like your language and the language of the people next to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And half a dozen, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's a given. And, and I, yeah. I feel embarrassed sometimes and, 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 the and only, inadequate. The only honestly. reason, I mean, but because the U.S. is like, you know, if you take all the states that we have, if they were all individual countries with different languages, then we'd be doing the same thing. But they're not. They're all the same. So unless you live near one of the, like, the borders you don't really I don't think it's intentional I think you just don't get the opportunity like here in Texas we get yeah. the opportunity to to experience people speaking Spanish but like if you're in Indiana maybe you know that's not quite because there's no that's true you that's know, true you don't, I did four years working out in Malaysia as an expat and oh, yeah. you know because of their history and being sort of at the the center of a few empires colliding everyone speaks pretty much three languages by default right, right. Um, and it, it's really interesting to oversee local conversations where people will, they call it speaking rojak, which means mi mixed up. They will freely intersperse words mm. from three different languages in the same conversation. <laughs> yeah. and everyone knows what they're saying, which is yeah. you know, a bizarre thing to That's follow. Did you outsider. pick up a language while you were there? I tried to learn Mandarin, but it was hopeless. Every yeah. time I spoke to someone, they just looked at me and laughed. So that's not really positive. <laughs> not very encouraging. That's no. a great. Point. I, I, I know people that have been there, spent years there, and in, in KL, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. they and they, did you work in the tower? In the uh, I did. Well, I worked in the one next to them, Arm Axis. That was our first office. We kept yeah. growing so fast, we kept moving out of offices. So while I was there, we had to move into three different offices. Wow. Okay. All right. I can see that, that Jerry's already getting anxious. He wants to get into the into the subject here. So I feel quite relaxed. Here's the. Here's the <laughs> I know. I just made that up. All right. Um, thank you. So here's the thing. Uh, the kind of the preface to this whole conversation, and the and people who have talked to me about this show know that I part of part of the reason why we launched this digital doer show is because it's kind of like our answer back to the world that says we are making progress in digital transformation in oil and gas. Um, Yes, it has taken some time because this is a big, complex industry, but, but we're getting there. We're seeing value. And BP, um, and I'm not going to like, give away any, any uh, details here, uh, let you guys tell the story, but, um, but you've had real progress. And today we're going to uh, <laughs> focus particularly on, on, on kind of a cloud foundation. 
And we were talking earlier, you said that by the end of this year, you're going to have a majority of applications. Yeah, in over the cloud. 75% of over applications. Over 75% of applications in the cloud. So somebody might say, so, so I could see two responses to that. One is the person who's sitting there going, holy cow, how did you get that done? Because we're trying to do that. Mm -hmm. There's also the person who's sitting there who might say, so what? What does that do for you, right? So let's talk about that real, first real yeah. quick, which is what's the value that you're seeing having, having accomplished that? So I mean, the biggest value is agility, right? Um, if you look at what was considered an acceptable SLA to put a server in a data center on-prem, six weeks was pretty good, eight weeks was maybe standard, yeah. 10 weeks, 12 weeks, depending on what the kit was. Um, assuming nobody forgot about it. Yeah, assuming right. nobody forgot about right. it, didn't get dropped. Um, <laughs> right. I've seen that happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, now you can have a cloud environment, uh, as long as you have a cost center, you know, and you can have a cloud environment in minutes, right? Yeah. And, you know, that, that changes the paradigm. I think some of the other things that we've been able to drive out of it, um, you know, because of that, we have moved from a, a capital intensive to an operational cost model. And so, you know, when, you, when you're constantly thinking about things in terms of capital cycles, you end up with a really super lumpy spend plan, right? You have right. to buy huge amounts of kit. You usually kind of do it at the end of the year. Yeah. Then it all gets backed yeah. up going into the data center. Um, you know, now, now with most cloud services, you're billed by the second, or if you're talking about Lambda, like by the 100 milliseconds. You match your supply and your demand for compute power pretty much in real time. And you're able to size things up, size things down, reduce waste, run analytics. You know, once if you've over-provisioned a server on-prem, you own it, right? You're not getting any money right, back for right, that. Yeah, you're yeah, not getting yeah. money back for a tenth of it. Right. If you've done it in the cloud, you can fix that, you know, in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really, you know, it forces everyone to move at a different pace, and it makes everyone up their game. App teams have to up their game because infrastructure is no longer you know, the constraining factor. Infrastructure teams have to up their game because you're managing a bigger fleet and you're doing it dynamically and you can't just have people answer tickets. You have to invest in automation. Yeah. And it starts a bit of a virtuous cycle where the more you have that expectation, the less what you did before seems acceptable. It really starts to drive a yeah, culture yeah. change. Gotcha, yeah. okay. So you're, so, so you're describing what sounds like a better foundation for, for, for doing stuff. Um, and as fantastic as that is, it might it still might not pass the so what test because okay great now we got this machine there but but yeah. Jerry you mentioned that your job is helping people move forward in digital yeah. transformation so I, as I a, can as give a, you a specific example based on what Tom said so right. Tom mentioned that it used to take six eight, six eight weeks to stand a server up. Well, think about a development team of seven, eight people, 10 people that you need to source as a product owner or someone that's building a digital product. Right. Okay, you come to IBM and you say, hey, Jerry, I need this team, I need these capabilities, and I need to have a really strong Scrum Master, and I need really good developers and a great DBA, and I need all these people. Right. Well, it takes time to find people. Yeah, yeah. Right now, it's incredibly hard to find people. Um, just with demand globally for tech talent. Right. And so if Tom comes to me and says, hey, I need, a, I need a team of eight or 10 to build this application, can you get it ready for me? I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay, good, boom, sign on the dotted line. We sign up and then it's eight weeks for us to even start work because we don't have a server environment. Right. So today, 
we don't really think about that being a gating factor. Like we don't need eight weeks or two months to stand up a server environment to be able to even start producing work. We can auto provision the instances that we need leveraging BP's accounts on AWS and things like that. We still run into some issues with like security and VPN yeah, yeah, sure. and like some connectivity, but it's much, much less of a yeah, problem. Yeah. And so we even start getting urgent if we're having a two or three day delay. Absolutely. Now, so which what, is the virtuous cycle he's talking about. Right. Because he's paying for eight weeks of consultants sitting there waiting for environments. I can't tell you how many times in my 25 year career in digital I've seen that happen. Yeah, yeah, I, well, and we talked about this earlier about how we all came from a consulting background and it always used to break my heart when we had people sitting there getting, you know, getting paid for, for nothing. But um, uh, do you have, okay, so you're, you're describing a wherewithal, right? Basically yeah. kind of an overall, how about like some examples of um, so you're in there, so Jerry, you're in there trying to help them, presumably not just deliver infrastructure, but deliver yeah. solutions of okay. great value. Mm -hmm. How, what so kind the of example, stuff have you been able yeah, to do? The example I was gonna go to, which I didn't actually get to, was BP is looking to build better insights and uh, capabilities for its retail network. Oh, 7,000 yeah. stores in the US. Right. Right. Each of those owners, whether it's BP, a franchisee, or what they call a jobber, person that owns a store, um, has systems on board on the retail site. They have pumps, they have uh, you know, chip and card dip machines on the, on the dispensers. Right, They've right. got the inside of the store, inventory systems, point of sale systems, IOT all around it. Well, traditionally, and historically, those have kind of been black boxes controlled yeah. by one or two vendors, sure. legacy, monolithic, no APIs, meaning you can't get the data in and out easily. You get a report at the end of the day, right. and that's all you get. Mm -hmm. And if you need to report in a different format, good luck. Yeah. Well, historically, had we wanted to make a change there, it would be years. Yeah. Two to three years to like get a different system in there to do different reporting. So if you want analytics in real time across your network to be able to make better pricing decisions on how you change prices for gas or how you price your Coke and what kind of deals you make and promotions, if you don't have access to the data, except three, four days later or a month later, whatever it is, it doesn't help you. So we built in, I don't know if you know the progress, Tom, but in the last two months, we have stood up a brand new wrapper around uh, uh, one of the retail sites that actually gets data in and out, and I won't say specifically what data, but data in and out in real time. Yeah. Leveraging mm -hmm. AWS and Lambda, which is serverless architecture, right? right? right. Le leveraging um, some APIs that exist on some of these black boxes, but essentially just disintermediating that entire layer and building a layer on top of it and, and building the, the capability to get that data out and then do analytics and push it back in. Right, and so we could, see, we could, we could apply that same thinking to lots of other types of solutions that we can imagine yeah. and incorporate all those types of things. Yeah. So you guys are, uh, so what, so what you're describing is really uh, you're creating kind of a world. Uh, so you know, Tom, on the with the actual compute environments, you're mm -hmm. now able to create. You're, you're able to deliver um, uh, uh, a place that people like Jerry and his team or anybody else comes in and they got to and they want to deliver business solutions. Absolutely. 
it's faster, it's cheaper, easier to support maybe going forward over time? Definitely easier to support because you can, you know, you can use the policy frameworks that you get in the cloud and you can apply policies at a global level. You can define policy as code. Um, again, easier to get inspection of your network because, again, APIs are available. Um, the tool set always gets better too, right? The thing about buying an OEM-provided piece of kit is that, you know, the very best day for that piece of kit is day one, yeah, right? Maybe true. day two after right. you've worked out any installation yeah, yeah, kinks, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's not day 700, right? Right. Whereas when you're consuming fully cloud services, it only gets better, right? The right. things that you thought were great last year, are the rubbish now. It's time to move yeah. to the next version. Cool, all right, so up until now, we've been talking mostly, remember I said at the beginning there, was just, there were potentially two people, one who says, uh, so what, right? Yeah. So we've been talking to that guy for a while now, so I think we've, so, we can kind of envision like this is all the, the potential value. We've got the other person sitting here going, how did you do it? Because we've been trying to do it and we trip over a lot of things, yep. right? So let's start with, um, so let's kind of break down a little bit what you did to be successful. And I know that one of those things is a multi-cloud strategy that people have been talking about for quite a while. Um, yeah. And I know I've been in a room with people, even in the last 12 months, who have said it's never going to work. The multi-cloud things never. It, it sounds good, but it's it's not. But so, is it working? And I know yeah, you've got I mean, some, it, it depends on why you're doing it, right? Yeah. So, if you think you're going to exploit pricing arbitrage between the two clouds and dynamically flip workloads between the two, right. no, that's probably never going to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. We ended up somewhat organically there because we had businesses that really wanted to use Amazon. We had businesses that really wanted to use Microsoft, and we ended up with you know partnerships in both places, and they've both been great for us. Um, you know, I, I would say, how did we do it? How did we get the push to go at scale? How do we move it from, hey, we have enthusiasts and businesses to migrating everything? Tie it to your real estate strategy, right? So mm. um, you mentioned our research computing facility and we have that on campus and that's sticking around. But, you know, most of our business apps were hosted in Colo uh, data centers and just announced I'm not signing this lease. That starts right. the clock. Um, and yeah. you know, then you fund yeah. the then you fund the program, and you know people I, we understand did that the with gun our is kids going. When they grew up, by the way, we said yeah. we said next month we're turning this room into an office. <laughs> <laughs> did it work? You have that much time to, yeah. to get out. Yes, yeah, yeah, it works sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, right. So um, and and we you mentioned that when we were just when we were chatting earlier, which actually goes back to the ROI, which is this kind of facilities optimization, right? Where you don't have to have um, all this. But I, I hadn't thought about that, right? If, if you say, I'm not signing the lease on this data center, then all of a sudden people have to, have to get things done. People have a choice to make, right? And yeah. actually one of the great things about it is um, somewhere a little bit more than 25% of the apps that the business swore were priceless, they couldn't live without. Actually, when it comes to doing the work of you know migrating the app, suddenly, well, actually, we don't really need that. We, we can yeah. let that go. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Forty-seven geoscience interpretation apps. Um, so, but what you're describing though is um, it requires it, it's it's bold, right? Like, mm -hmm. and this is not an industry where people historically like to kind of spend their internal political capital without really knowing that like things are going to be okay. So, and so, and Jerry, maybe this is where, you know, being a, a partner there, how you, so for the, the person like, like, like Tommy says, okay, folks, I am not 
going to support this, like we're shutting the lights off at this day. How do you help everybody make sure that on the day after that, that everything's good and, and everybody feel good about that, right? Well, I think that comes down to your ability to understand the goals, the amount of work there is to do, the kind of skills you need to do it, and have a way to manage the program and work with your your client, say BP, in understanding that. And, and BP's quite a large company, and so it has many partners like IBM, um, and it has its own staff that, that work on these types of programs. So I think having a, a programmatic approach and a, um, a, a studied approach to how you prioritize what you're going to move first and where you look for the opportunities in the low-hanging fruit um, is an important part of it. So yeah. I think in any of the digital work that we do uh, with BP, um, and in fact, BP in its reInvent um, has uh, many, many what are called portfolio owners, portfolio managers. Yeah, Their yeah. job is to decide what to do next. And so in agility, right. there's two things that you need to get right. One is you've got to do the work right. That's all about the ways of working and Scrum and Agile mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. But then you have to do the right work. So yeah. it doesn't make a lot of sense to yeah. do the wrong work correctly. You got to do the right work. And that's where a lot of companies fall down. They don't actually spend the time to prioritize and understand the value delivered by executing this app moving to the cloud versus that one. Yeah. And they work on, they work on all the sort of baked in assumptions about what's what, like, like Tom, like you mentioned, we can't live without this application. It turns out we don't really need it. And I think uh, without, without, without shamelessly uh, plugging anybody too much, but I, I am a believer that, um, and, I, and I think people in the oil and gas industry, it, operators in particular, are starting to be more open about learning from other people outside their company, mm. even yeah. outside the industry, which yeah. what used to not be a thing. And that's where partners like IBM yeah. that have worked with a lot of other people can yeah. bring some of those lessons in. Well, right? I, yeah. you know, when your own CEO or, or, or CFO or COO or board member holds you accountable for the experience they have on the mobile device because they had a great one at Starbucks and a terrible one with BPME, which is the loyalty app that they use for the... <laughs> <laughs> it means hey, something now. now. No, 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 just get, I'm giving you, I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. All right, now. Um, the point is the experience that people expect today is no longer going to give you a free pass on the experience you deliver, even in oil and gas. Yeah. The, the, the guys on the rigs, the people doing the, uh, the drill planning, all of that, they don't want to look at a green screen that has no capability to work with a smart device. They don't want to go back to some terminal and have to like, you know, key in uh, complex strings that are, you know, yeah. are are not user friendly. They're used to you know booking a flight on their phone in three seconds or ordering pizza yeah. from Domino's with a tweet. And, right? and every one of those components has to work together, right? Because mm -hmm. the other thing you don't want is the guy on the rig to have the Batman belt of you know different mobile devices yeah. hanging off his waist because <laughs> you didn't think about yeah. how can you make these integrated yeah, it does solutions seem like it, together. Yeah, yeah a bit yeah. dated. Um, all right, so we're talking. We're talking about the things that we that people sometimes trip over on their way to having these utopian cloud computing environments, so that people like IBM can come in and build cool apps. Um, um, one of the things that I know I've heard people kind of on the infrastructure side of the world say is uh, they get very worried about. Um, okay, it's one thing to do a deal with 
Microsoft and do a deal with AWS and to spin up all these really cool things, how are we actually going to manage and operate our data and our applications? And let's not forget about security, which has mm -hmm. reared its ugly head again recently. Um, like, like it start it starts to sound a bit uh, like how do we how are we going to do that? So have you have you gotten to the point where you've you, you can say, okay, we, it, we've rolled stuff out across multiple hyperscalers. We can manage it. We can, we can operate it. We can support it. Well, I mean, security is always a changing game, right? So I would never say on a podcast that's going to be published that we've got everything under control. But <laughs> or that you don't have everything right. under control. Right, either way. Um, <laughs> what I would say is the tool set that's available to you. So, I mean, the thing that hyperscalers bring to the game is hyperscale, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know. It's all in the name, yeah. It's not that, you know, and they're both great, it's not that one is better than the other. It's a bit like English and Spanish. You can be fluent in either or both and, and go about your business. But the tools they give you, once you figure out how policy works, right? Once you figure out how networking works, once you figure out how privileged access management works, you're done, right? You can write it once and you can really apply it anywhere across that landscape. And that wasn't really the case with, you know, the on-prem paradigm of, you have to harden the the perimeter, right? Because that's really the only place where you know what's going on. You know, when you build your 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 applications on the cloud, and especially as you go more cloud native, you have controls at every level. You have controls at the application level, at the identity level, at right, the network right. level, at the firewall level, um, at the server level, right? And and you don't even have to think about the physical component of it because. You know those those sites are run like you know Fort Knox. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, um, so but the moral of the story is that you can actually, I mean, it's you you can operate support these things across these environments. Um, and so for those of you who are listening and thinking, well, this sounds like a lot of tech talk. Uh, <laughs> the point is that um, when we talk about getting digital done. Uh, one of the things that's difficult is we have all of these. Um, I always like to say this: like sometimes w what works well in the lab doesn't, you know, has trouble circling the globe. Right? Mm -hmm. And and we have lots of great innovators now who are producing, uh, you know, IBM and others who are producing really cool solutions for doing solving various types of business problems. You know, we we talked earlier. Uh, I think before we turned on the microphones, we we're talking about digital twins, and we we're talking about all of the, but but. But how do you take those innovations out of the POC, out of the lab, and actually yep. deploy and operate them at scale across these complex environments? This stuff that you're describing is part of how that gets done. Absolutely. Right? Is that, that's, that's how it works out in my head yeah. anyway. Is that what you're finding to be true? Heterogeneity is the enemy of scale, right? Yeah. So if you, know, if you have a different way of doing everything per asset, per region you operate in, whatever, you know, it, it costs you linear cost as you go up. It's it's like you know, if you're ma if you're manufacturing a product, you want to put your investment in up front, and then you want to get margin as you scale. Yeah. And it's the same sort of concept with you know rolling out. Um, we call it platforms on platforms. So the cloud is a base platform, and then above that, you might have something like your data universe that sits above it. Right. And above that, you might be able to put something like a digital twin, and that might be fed by an IoT platform. Yeah, yeah. And if you can standardize that stack, right, you know, then you're able to copy, copy cut, paste, and really deploy it at scale. And, and one of the challenges I think the industry's had in the past is, 
if you were buying best of breed from uh, independent hardware suppliers, yeah. they don't really have an incentive in allowing you to do that in a, in a sustainable, repeatable way. Whereas if you work, again, with the hyperscaler ecosystem, um, you know, the name, like you said, is in the name. It's, it's hyper, right? Yeah. You can do yeah, it yeah. anywhere. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I remember this um, back in, in my consulting days when I had project teams, right? And we would, and uh, many times building whatever the, the app was or whatever the solution was, was like the first half of the job. The second half of the job was working with your client to try to figure out how to get the right server configurations and network and that, you know, it worked, it worked on my desktop, but now, you know, you know, that whole thing. Um, and so that has to be good news for people uh, like, uh, Jerry, like you, who are trying to work with your, with your client to actually get these solutions out and have them, have them become productive. Yeah. I think we talked about how the infrastructure requirements as a gate to progress just don't really exist in the same yeah. way. It's more around security and it's around connectivity right. and it's around permissions and yeah. access than it is around the, the physical configuration of the right. hardware. And is it compatible with, you know, this software? Yeah. For instance. So, so we, yeah, so we don't think about that so much. And, and honestly, we, you know, BP and lots of our other clients, you know, are, are using companies like Salesforce or other bespoke platforms, other platforms on top of platforms where, again, you're not building the base platform, you're configuring it, maybe you're adding some customizations, you're getting right, data right. into it, and then you're deploying it, right? And, and it's much more about that now and scale than it is about like building the custom objects. Yeah, right, um, you know, that can be done some, some yeah. really. There's one more thing that I wanted to um, uh, hit on because this is another thing that I hear people have so much difficulty with in this hyperscaler strategy, especially in a multi-cloud, is uh, it's all fun and games until we want to start trying to move the data around, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden it becomes very expensive. So what's the, um, how, how have you dealt with that? Well, what's it's the, cheap to move the data in. It's expensive yeah. when you want to move the, data, move the data out. out. Right, yeah. Yeah, that, that is the great catch-22. So what you find, you know, is that if you have a multi-cloud strategy, you know, the data sort of acts like a gravity well, and, you know, mm -hmm. you don't see a ton of uh, cross-cloud use cases within a single business that lives off a single data set. And I think that is something that is worth being cognizant of when you make the decision to go into it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, there are always new solutions and new providers out there trying to help you solve that problem. Um, you know, and when I say solutions, I mean um, things like uh, AWS Snowmobile or Databox Heavy. Mm -hmm. You know, large, large, um, you know, hundreds of terabytes uh, devices that you can ship around the world. It, it's slow, but it's reliable, and it, and it, you know, it kind of does the job. Um, there are also a new breed of providers out there offering kind of the data element in their own cloud agnostic from the, the two hyperscalers. We haven't gone that route yet, but I mean, that's an interesting market development. And if it creates pressure that, that forces down the pricing models on uh, data egress, that's all goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one thought occurred to me when you were talking about about the data piece and you know sort of the gravity wells on, on hyperscalers. Like you're gonna have you know, group your retail group, maybe they're going to be on hyperscaler A, and maybe your your B two B group's going to be on this one, and they're right. they're not going to really exchange data, so you don't run into that issue. But one of the things that doesn't account for would be acquisitions or divestitures, 
right? When you acquire yeah, a company yeah. now, and there's going to be some of those, more of those, yeah, some yeah. of those problems not, can yeah. be quite challenging. Yeah, and I mean, it's a good point you, you bring up with the because um, we've talked about this quite a bit. The focus in the industry, at least in the, for now, has shifted a little bit away from new discoveries, right? And less thinking about adding to your proven reserves although there's some predictions that say we're gonna we're gonna be in a panic about that fairly soon but but yeah <laughs> it's good news for all us but the focus has been more on how do I get more value how do we get more value from the assets that we either are already operating or how do we acquire you know how do we how do we basically what some of the consulting companies are calling shaping the portfolio of the future, which is what do we need to get rid of? What do we need to acquire? And maybe not in terms of whole companies, but just in terms of individual assets. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 the, the, the thinking is this is going to be ongoing for a while as everybody tries to optimize the economics of their portfolio, not only the financial economics, but the carbon economics of their portfolio. So if I'm in the IT world inside of a company right now, I'm like, that all sounds like nothing but grief coming <laughs> my way, right? So does this, does the strategy that, yeah. you know, so you being ahead of the curve, do you feel like you're, you're better prepared and capable for that? Or I, I do. I mean, you know, so there's sort of an analogy between, you know, traditional IT and librarians where you want everything to be in perfect order and no one to touch the books, right? Right. Um, yeah. And that's what you describe, you know, uh, acquisitions, divestitures, reorganizations. Those always involve a great deal of uh, systems change, and, and that's overhead. Again, you know, if you are prepared to constantly be pushing the boundary of innovation using partners and modernizing that anyway, right. then your mindset's just a little bit more acclimatized to, you know, okay, we got a new set of priorities today and we'll, yeah. go, we'll go get after those. Yeah. Well, one, one, one thing that occurs to me as we go down that, that, that path and think about new business models and what, what hyperscale multi-cloud data in the cloud enable there's entirely new business models that are possible right when so, you can start so to describe aggregate that a little bit because because yeah. those words get thrown around a lot especially yeah. if you read like like research papers like the latest from the latest research companies and consulting management consulting firms but what like new business models in this industry what does that look like well i if you think about data monetization for instance there's a lot of data that a company like BP has, any super major has. What are the ways that you can monetize that data today? You could look through ungodly numbers of spreadsheets and, and uh, data that's not well-formed to try to draw some insights from mm -hmm, all that sure. data that you have. Historical data going back how many years? 100 yeah. years or more. Um, imagine if you could, as part of your you know, acquisition of a company, ingest all of its data and then benefit from it without necessarily having to take on all the assets underneath it. But you could learn from it. You know, stuff about maybe where you're going to find oil. Maybe you know, can you get more? Can you drill a different angle? Whatever it is, what, whatever that data is going to tell you, um, you could use to train your own models your machine learning and AI models. Um, if you're thinking about the retail market, you know, the way prices move across your 7,200 you know, stores and the way demand and supply moves, if you have access to that intelligence and that data in real time, 
and you can monetize it. You can sell it back to the retailers. Mm-hmm. You could sell it to other retailers. You could sell it to yeah, ecosystem yeah. providers like weather company. Like, there's so much there that you can go after if you can just get your arms around it. And so, you know, a lot of the reasons that Uber didn't exist a long time ago is because there was no foundation for it to exist. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so it's an interesting thing that's happening right here. Uh, of course, we're only on audio, so people can't see this, but. Um, but so, so typically when somebody like Jerry was, would be sitting here like fantasizing about all these amazing things <laughs> fantasizing. that you could do, typically, Theorizing, maybe. typically the, the infrastructure guy would be sitting there with a very like worried look on his face, right? <laughs> except, except Tom was sitting here without any worry, like on your, on your, on your, on your face at all. Because, so I guess what I'm, I guess, what I'm trying to kind of connect this back yeah. to is is we talk about how to get digital done. Part of that is is this innovation that, like you were just describing, uh, Jerry Wright. It was those are that's it's thinking of new things that we could do. And now you've got this foundation that says I don't have to lose so much sleep at night because exactly like I, I can these these crazy business people are going to think this stuff up, but we're going to be able to do it. And also, what business partners do we want to have, right? So Microsoft yeah. and Amazon are two of the largest power consumers in the world, and part of our relationship isn't just me buying cloud from them, it's them buying power from us, clean power. Um, yeah, sure. You know, when you look at how will the world set up markets for clean power, for carbon capture and trading, you know, there are opportunities adjacent to our business that haven't really been cracked yet by, you know, by us or IBM or anyone else. Um, right, right. You know, I think if you don't think that that's going to have a digital backbone, yeah. right, you need to probably yeah. have a think again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Blockchain point. will play a role in a lot of those new business models. Yeah. Right, yeah. just transaction tracking and facilitation. We are, we are sitting right now almost directly over our the Data Gumbo office uh, and our friends down there, who are also friends of OGGN doing amazing things with mm. contract management, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay, this is, I think we're actually probably at a good point to wrap up. I'm looking at the clock here. This is the point where people, if we keep talking, people might change the channel. So, <laughs> <laughs> but this was, but it's good. I'm glad we got to talk about, um, you know, the um, kind of the underpinnings that's necessary to actually get this stuff done. And we have firsthand account of yes it's working we're having we're having success um and you didn't have to come here to talk about that so presumably you're telling the truth right absolutely always (laughs) (laughs) so all right good any um if people want to learn more uh like let's say they they finish listening to this episode and they're like oh my goodness i gotta learn more about what those guys are doing so where do they where do they look i mean apart from like you know websites and things like that do you have any anywhere you, you want to point people to to learn more either about what ibm's doing or about about bp are they willing to pay for the advice if so have them call me no i'm kidding i'm kidding yeah um, the true consulting spirit comes out <laughs> um gosh we're, we're all ingesting new data and information all the time i think um Major news media is probably not a great place to learn about this stuff, but um, I don't know. What, what are your favorite ways to learn? I mean, we're, we're all just, it, it just seems yeah. like just part of our Man. of our ether these days is just all the information that comes out. Constant, and we have tons right. of research at IBM. We're always getting newsletters. I, mean, I subscribe to a lot of newsletters in the different industries that I'm a part yeah, of. You guys actually do have quite a lot of stuff. So IBM.com has, is big. Right, but it is there are big, some yeah. sections where you can look and find some. Yeah, things. yeah. There's some, there's some, there's some good thought leadership there. Uh, you know, I think the the conferences, um, the the tech conferences that companies like SAP do, 
um, the forums around oil and gas like OSDU. Yeah. There's lots of good information there about some opportunities. Uh, I think there's a, there's a ton on going on in green right now around sustainability, yeah, yeah, sure. uh, around sure. how to measure and track carbon um, and to pay for it. So I think th- there's a there's a very rich fabric and ecosystem out there. You just could, I mean, I just use Google, honestly. And I think user groups are, are a critical part of understanding oh, the point. art of the yeah. possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was at an AWS event last week and, you know, I was blown away by what some other companies are doing. And, you know, it's just a reminder. You said that, that our industry doesn't like to benchmark against other industries, but that's where the real boundary is being yeah. pushed. And so if sure. we're not talking to other industries, we're missing then out. Then you're missing, right, yeah. exactly. Um, for, for sustainability, I mean, I got to plug our website here, bp.com. Right. Um, we, we've taken a net zero pledge and we have uh, a lot of sustainability aims um, that feature prominently out there. And if anyone wants to understand that journey more, uh, I would redirect people to that, that resource. Cool. All right, good. Yeah. yeah, and for the multi-industry perspective, I think IBM does offer a lot of oh, resources. Sure. Similarly, right, when you're yeah, trying yeah. to think about you know, what other industries can I learn from, to Tom's point, you know, we all ought to be learning from the Ubers and the, um, and the Airbnbs and you know, the Starbuckses and the airline industries of the world you know, to bring those experiences back. And um, you know, IBM does have experience across pretty much every single vertical areas, every industry. Yeah, no so doubt. That's true. Uh, very good, very good point. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, that um, I think that's going to wrap up the Tom and Jerry show. But uh, so. thanks for having us. A game yeah. of cat yeah. and mouse as yeah, ever. Yeah, exactly. Was, uh, I wish I had a pan I could whack you with. Right. <laughs> I'm sure you felt that way before. Well, well, well. Uh, all, all, all in the spirit of making things better. It is. It's, you know, it's good. In fact, I'm thinking that what we might do, if uh, you guys are up for it, uh, we might, you know, maybe come back in, in a few months and do a. Do, a, do another round and just see what new progress has been made and what yeah. new exciting awesome. things yeah. are coming. Uh, we need that long to get it through your your uh, <laughs> <laughs> your approval. Oh, yeah. that's right. I, yes. I do appreciate, I really do appreciate, too, I have to say, having somebody, sometimes it is difficult to get folks from the bigger companies, especially the operators, to come on the podcast because there are a lot of constraints in that regard. And so it's great to be able to, usually what we have to do is bring the, we have to bring like the, the partners on to try to give us some clue as to what the the, the, the real companies are doing. So it's great yeah. to have. Now I'm have that. grateful that Tom uh, Tom agreed to work with us on this. Um, Tom and I have lots of good conversations about what's going on, and um, you know, I'm not selling anything to Tom, just talking about what we're doing and where we're showing. And you know, it's great that you know you're willing to come out here with us and, and have a chat. Tom, thanks yeah. for doing that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate yeah. it. So. Tom Inglis, Jerry Lewis, thank you guys. I just got a couple things I need to say here yeah. uh, to wrap up. And uh, the first is I got to thank our sponsor again, Top Coder. We do love our sponsors at OGGN because uh, as I, I always say, without them, there is no us. IBM is also a sponsor for OGGN uh, for, uh, for, for the, yeah. the most popular oil and gas <laughs> podcast on the planet. It's so, our pleasure. So yeah. really thank our sponsor. And, and I, I also want to mention that we, our sponsors, we don't just love them for paying the bills. Uh, which we do love that part but we also like all the sponsors that we work with are doing amazing things come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry a production of the oil and gas global network learn more at oggn.com